Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Adaptive Warrior. I am your host, Angie Huser. It's time once again to unleash the warrior within you. Are you ready? Let's get started. I am so excited tonight or today I have with me my cleanup hitter of my Limb Loss Awareness Month guest speakers, and that would be Dr. Ronnie Pruch. Thank you for coming to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I love it. I am so excited. I call you my cleanup hitter. I've played years of softball. <laughs> my son's playing baseball. My father played baseball. And uh, cleanup is a very important spot. And you got me primed and, and, and better at doing all the technical stuff. But you're also the, the final piece in this part of my journey where you were my last surgeon um, this past December. And mm-hmm. I wanted to have you on because there was a high volume of people that when I was posting those silly videos of me dancing with my prosthetic and playing games with my prosthetic, cause I missed it so much. I always tagged TMR surgery and people were like, what is that? What is it? What do you have <laughs> done? What are you waiting to heal from? And I say TMR, like I actually know what the TMR stands for. And, and really I, I just know kind of basic terminology. But before we delve into the hardcore hitting TMR surgery and your specialty there, could you just tell us a little bit about you, a little personal information to get us to know you and your background, where your education came from and just what you've been doing for how long? Yeah, sure. So, uh, well, I'm from uh, Morgantown where I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, but I grew up in Morgantown, West Virginia, which is the home of the West Virginia University. And uh, both my pr- uh, parents were professors in engineering. So when I said I wanted to go to medical school, they said, well, you have to do engineering first. So I ended up doing uh, biomedical and electrical engineering at Duke University. And I did a minor in political science. That was my, uh, my thing for my, myself. Engineering was for my parents. Minor in political science is more for me. And uh, then I went to medical school. So I got into Johns Hopkins. Um, so I was in Baltimore for four years at Johns Hopkins University. Um, and it was at Johns Hopkins that I became interested in plastic surgery. Um, what enticed me about plastic surgery was the fact that we work with so many different surgeons. So even now in my practice, um, in one day I'll be working on pediatrics, I'll be working on adults, I'll be doing facial fractures, I'll be doing hand fractures. And it's funny that you call me the cleanup hitter because a lot of surgeons in the Valley call me that, um, a lot of times when they, when they have a problem case or a problem patient, I'm the guy that they call to to help fix it. So, um, that's, and that's what I love about my specialty. I mean, I work with so many different providers in a day, which is really fun. Um, I did my training at the University of Washington. And I was at the University of Washington where I met a gentleman named Jason Coe. And he had the fortune of uh, training with a gentleman named Greg Dumanian, who actually started TMR surgery in 2002. So Jason Coe is the one who taught me essentially everything that I learned about nerve uh, transfers and um, uh, the process of targeted muscle reinnervation, which is what the TMR stands for. Um, and then uh, after I completed my training there, came down here to Scottsdale, uh, Phoenix, and I've uh, been here now for four years. And right now, as you know, it's an exciting time for me. I've got a uh, wife on the couch who's having contractions at 39 weeks. Uh, <laughs> I have an 18-month-old crying behind me in the, in the crib. Um, and as you know, I'm on call today. So I already did yes. a fracture earlier today. So I'm glad we got to sneak this in. 
Well, that's, you know, it's funny. And I usually don't talk about what time of day we're working with, but I had to, because I screwed up at the beginning. So folks, this is pre-recorded because baby was on the way and we didn't want to miss out. And we had to reschedule from last Tuesday to Sunday this afternoon to Sunday night. So it is now 9 p.m. in Arizona time. Um, you know, these, this guy's busy, you know? He called me this morning, he goes, I'm on call and I have an emergency. I'm like, okay, let's do later. So here we are, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 9 p.m. You know, I'm gonna toot your horn or have you toot your horn because when I first met you, I knew that you had gotten some sort of special recognition for working with the TMR surgery in Arizona or the nation. Can you? Yeah, no, yeah, that was at Arizona. So the uh, Arizona Society of Plastic Surgeons every year does a best case, best save. So essentially at our annual meeting, they invite surgeons to present cases that uh, they had done in the prior year um, and to describe what they did for that patient. So I won the award actually my first year out of training. Uh, and it was for a patient who came into the hospital with um, uh, what's called abdominal uh, cutaneous nerve entrapment syndrome. So she had undergone a laparoscopic procedure and when they were closing one of the port sites, they've got one of the nerves of the abdomen entrapped in that site. And it was causing her chronic pain. And uh, this poor person had been to the hospital on numerous occasions, multiple diagnoses, and nobody could quite pinpoint what was going on. Once again, I've kind of had the fortune of being at some academic, you know, very academic institutions. So, you know, from between Johns Hopkins and the University of Washington, and again, Jason Coe, I recognized it pretty quickly what it was. I was like, well, she's got entrapment of an abdominal nerve. So I, I did a, a version of Tim, uh, targeted muscle innervation for her and relieved her pain. Um, and it was, uh, it was great because this is a person who had gone to the hospital, I think seven or eight times, was on opiates for multiple years, um, basically was at home, not enjoying the activities that she wanted to enjoy. And it was about a two hour surgery when we were able to kind of solve that problem for her. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you have your own practice, correct? The practice you're at is your practice. Yeah, so I have a practice. It's called Phoenix Plastic Surgery. Phoenix Plastic Surgery, and is that was have you have you been with a broader, bigger corporation or company beforehand, or how does that work? Yeah, so out of training, most people join up in a group, or they or they get hired by a hospital, and that's the yeah. majority route, the, the major route that most physicians take. Um, I joined up a group uh, that initially had uh, two owners, so I was their one employee. Uh, and then they had, uh, we had additional employees. So at the time, the biggest, our group, the biggest that we were was four people. Um, that group then subsequently separated. And when that group separated, um, I was able to venture out on my own. I still work very closely with one of the uh, founders of the original group. His name is uh, Pablo Pritchard. He's a surgeon also here in Phoenix. He and I do a lot of the complex cases together. So uh, it's nice to have, you know, someone to work with and to, and to corroborate with. And we have very complementary skills in terms of our skill sets, the things that we do, they complement each other well. So now I'm on my own. I mean, I have my own practice, but I still have, I still have him as a uh, resource when I need it. And then uh, another uh, gentleman recently came out to the Valley who um, I work with sometimes when, and it's kind of, you know, now I've become the mentor and he's the mentee, kind of like that natural progression. So, right. so I kind of have that relationship with him uh, and it's good. I mean, essentially three of us um, are able to kind of coordinate with each other when we need to. And then I, I, I tend to try to get along with every everybody in the Valley. So, you know, one day a week, I actually help another surgeon with his cases. He's a great mm. guy. And uh, he's got, he does complex surgeries and has me come and help him. And yeah. that's really a nice relationship to be able to have that with multiple different people in the Valley, even though we're not financially joined, we're all able to kind of work together and, and take care of patients. 
Well, and that's kind of the, the, how I came about coming to your office too, was your connection with um, Dr. Judd Cummings. And yeah. when I went to him and said, I don't know what's going on. And, you know, what was really interesting to me is first off, the listeners need to know that my first progression to figuring this out was go back to the surgeon who did the amputation. And as I started talking to people, that's what most people are doing. And then you got to meet my prosthetists, Randy and David, who wanted to work with you because they were noticing that, you know, patients, we talked about how we're pretty much lifers with them. Now they get an aroma, they go to their orthopedic surgeon, they cut it out, they're healing up, they get back to it. You're down the road. They start having problems again. And what I love, and I, I, I've always been a, just an advocate of this, the people I've decided to keep around me and my circle is very priceless because no one's ever done me wrong. I'm very grateful and thankful for that. And they're very honest. Uh, Dr. Cummings saw me, he goes, well, I know who you need to see. And I'm like, well, wait, <laughs> don't you have a quick fix, something for me? That's not like a, a medication. And he's like, no, he goes, I could do the surgery but it will grow back. He goes, you need to see uh, Dr. Pooch. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to see another surgeon is what I thought. I'm like, here we go again. You know, I didn't even know who you were. I'm like in a plastic surgeon. Like when it comes to that, I guess my question that the listeners would probably want to ask is, well, I wouldn't even think that do all plastic surgeons dabble in this TMR? Do they all know what it is? Can they all do it? No, I mean, so plastic surgery is one of the fields in medicine that I think has the widest breadth of what people do. And it goes back to what I alluded to early in our conversation. In a day, I do pediatrics adults um, and, you know, I do fractures and nerve transfers and sarcoma reconstructions and breast reconstructions and pre-flap surgeries. Like my breadth is very wide, but with that breadth also becomes a lot, a lot of people come along that do what you traditionally believe is plastic surgery, right. which is cosmetic procedures, breast augmentations, facelifts. Um, blepharoplasties, things like that. And, and I, I do those as well, but just not to the volume that some of the other physicians in our community do it. You know, plastic surgery is a field that is not well-defined and, and that's by the virtue of what we do because it is so broad. But no, I mean, I, I think that uh, in terms of the type of plastic surgery and I do, and I'm very quick to correct or say to people, I'm a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. I, I throw that out very quickly. And yeah. um, when I meet people in my clinic, I say, look, like, I'm, you know, this is a different clinic than your typical, you know, Scottsdale cosmetic practice. Like we don't have a waterfall. We don't have, we don't have those, those things that, you know, the cosmetic people have because they're selling a different product, you know? Right. And, I, and I'm, and I think the first time we met, I'm, I'm not selling anything to my patients. Like, mm -hmm. I think when I first, when I first met, I think when I first met you, I say, I want you to want me to do this. Um, I'm yeah. not going to try to convince you to do this. I'm not going to make you do this. No. This is something that I want you to come and ask me to do, and I'll do it for you if right. you understand the risk and benefits that we go over. So, no, um, this procedure in general, and I'll, we can talk a little bit more about the details of the surgery, but um, not a, very many people do it. And again, for me, it was the right place, right time. Uh, the only reason I even know how to do it is, again, my time at Johns Hopkins and then my right. time with, uh, with Dr. Coe. And the only reason Dr. Cohen knew how to do it was because he was fortunate enough to train with Dr. Damani. And so it's, it's, it's right. starting to get more widespread, but it's still one of those procedures and one of those fields that there's just a handful of people out there doing. Yep. One of the unique things too about Phoenix is as you know, we don't have a major academic center. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whereas in Seattle, you have the University of Washington or in San Francisco, you have UCSF and Stanford, you have these academic centers. We don't really have that, that type of center here. Um, so you have a large 
breadth of expertise in the community, uh, but not a lot of people, um, it's hard to find us out there, the ones that are doing these higher level or um, I don't want to say experimental, but more, um, you know, advanced, I don't even want to say cutting edge, but just kind of more out there, I guess, right. say, countries that, that aren't as common, that aren't as are ubiquitous across the, uh, across the field. Um, so no, I mean, to the people that do what I do in the Valley, I, I think there's maybe one or two other people that I've kind of run into and they tell me that they do it. And that's kind of the only people I know in, in all of Phoenix that do that. You know, same story. You know, one of my buddies who I know does it, he trained with uh, uh, Dr. McKinnon, who's someone at St. Louis. So it's a small world and we can all kind of trace right. our path back to three or four people that have started all this. And then we've kind of branched off. Well, it's interesting too, because um, like I said, once I started posting that I had this surgery, people were very interested because they had seen me doing all the things I do. And then the next thing they knew I was four weeks on crutches and literally kind of getting a little stir crazy at the house, coming up with silly things to, you know, bide my time. And they were very curious because when I did start talking about why I had that done, a lot of amputees jumped on that. I'm going through that. I'm going through that. Some people have said they have had the surgery, of course, unwanted and unwarranted sometimes outcomes. Like it didn't work for me. I hope it works for you. And you're sitting there healing from it. And you're like, great. And then there's uh-huh. others that were like, there's no one near me. Where's your guy? I want to come in. I will fly in. I will do whatever it takes because what people don't realize is, you know, we have the amputation and that's just the first step of the whole journey. The journey goes forever for us seeing people say, you know, it's been 20 years and all of a sudden now I have this happening to my residual limb. And you're like, Oh my, really? Like, I'm not even going to get over a hump at two years or three years of, you know, paying my dues that it just kind of things change your body changes. And so I know that this is um, one of those procedures that I think is, is really going to start taking off as people are starting. And I really kind of hope more people more, more doctors start doing this for them and getting that. Cause you really, I mean, you, one thing that was great and, and I'm, I think a very good judge of character. And I, I think I, I base that on the fact is that everybody that's even come in contact with me from this episode of my life, um, I have kept very, very close to me and they've all kind of rallied with me and been my supporters and my cheerleaders and, and never have turned their back on me and said, I'm done. I'm done. Now you move on. One thing that I noticed that uh, you kind of, it, one, I trusted Dr. Cummings with, with everything. You know, if I can let him <laughs> take my leg off, um, if he says you need to do this and he says it with conviction, you know, and he really, his body language that we talked, um, this whole month has been talking about relationships with your medical um, people that you work with and that relationships very important. And, you know, your prosthetist, his body language or her body language and the way they treat you and are they listening and things like that are very important. I mean, we talk about bedside manners of doctors and I know that the first time you came in, I remember coming home and telling my husband, I said, I didn't come in wanting surgery, but you were so confident that you could get that neuroma out and it would be so much better. But it, like I told him, I said, but it was such good confidence. It wasn't, arrogance. It wasn't an ego. It was, I gotcha. Like, I felt like you were already a a friend of mine that you, you already understood everything I was going through. You listened really well, but you left me feeling like, 
well, if Dr. Cummings thinks he can do it and this guy had no problem whatsoever after meeting me, then I'm, I guess I'm in the right place. And sometimes <laughs> I do throw caution to the wind like that, but I can really tell character wise, your body language, the way you would actually make eye contact with me. Cause I have been in offices where doctors put their head down and type at their computer and never even look at me. And I'm like, how do you run a business that way? You know? And so I, I want to give you props on that because you know, relationship is very important because when you do go under and you're hoping that you can get some normalcy back, um, you have to trust that person. And it's really hard. Like I had one meeting with you. That's right. <laughs> and then something happened because of the holidays. And the next thing I know, I'm like, I'd be in waiting on you going, yeah, I need, I have questions. <laughs> and so we didn't really get the pre-op appointment that we should have had, but it's a good thing. I was like, it's all right. We got this. No big deal. I've done this before. This isn't my first rodeo, but you, you handled it so well. And I wanted listeners to know that, that, that I would trust. And I hope my listeners trust me enough because I'm pretty transparent with my life that um, you would be the right person to go talk to at least. And, you know, we say research, don't just, don't just oh, yeah. take face value of one person's comments. You need to actually go in and get your own questions answered. Right. No, a hundred percent. I think, you know, you alluded to a lot of interesting things just now. I think uh, in terms of the uh, approach that I take, I think one of the things as you already alluded or spoke about is that I'm a, I'm a cleanup hitter. So I have a lot of tough conversations in my clinic because by the time a lot of patients get to me, they've already seen three, four or five other people um, and have had multiple surgeries. And I can't tell you the number of times I have to say to somebody, look, you gave that surgeon a year. You got to give me a couple months because they already come in so frustrated because they've just been going down the wrong direction for such a long time. And kind of what we spoke about before, I've had the very good fortune of having a lot of people, uh, physicians in the community, trust me, um, which means that my practice is busy uh, because I'm getting a lot of referrals from our, our, our surgeons. That means, I, again, I don't have to sell people. Like I don't have to sell you on a surgery. I don't have to oversell it. Right. I don't have to tell you I can do something I can't do because A, I would never do that. This is not who I am. But B, right. um, I don't need to do it. It's, it's it, whether or not you have a surgery with me does not you know, determine whether or not I put food on the table for my 18 month old. I, right. I am busy enough that I, I, I get to, I don't wanna say I'm selective, but I get to be able to be honest. And right. I, I can't say the number of patients that come in and they say to me, like, you are the most honest person I've ever met in terms of physicians. And I am, and I think a lot of times actually other doctors, when they have problem patients, they send them to me, not just because of the surgeries that I perform, but because I have the, the talks with those patients. Yeah. And I sit down and I say, look, this is where you are. This mm -hmm. is where I think we can get, but this is as good as it's going to be. And yeah. you and I have had those conversations too. We did. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, I think, really important in terms of the approach that, that, that I take and that, you know, the relationship I have. And I have a belief that, you know, we shouldn't, it should be, I don't want to say fun. I mean, surgery is not fun, but it yeah. also shouldn't be scary. You know, like, you know, yeah. when you come to our office, we're all smiling, we're all joking, we're all, we're yeah. all, um, you know, getting along very well. We're serious when we need to be serious. Right. Um, but we also know how to treat people like people. And For sure. You know, you have a story to tell. We need to be there to listen to it. You've been through a lot. Again, 99% of our patients have been through a lot by the time they get yeah. to us. So we, we like it when other, other patients or when patients say, you're nothing like any other surgeon I've ever met. I was like, that's a compliment yeah. to me. Yeah. This is a fun office. I'm like, that's, I'm glad you said that. So yeah. That's, that's well, it's true. True. You know, and, and one of the, um, like, even with just with the time that I got to spend with you on that very first meeting, like I said, I put a lot of trust in Dr. Cummings direction. Like, I do not think he knows me really, really well. I do yeah. not think he would put me in a place where 
he wouldn't have trusted the person because he knows my activity level. And the fact that that's really important to me after like seven years of being laid up from surgery after surgery, after surgery. And he saw me prior to the amputation surgery. And he was one of those also that I think was no bull. Like I, I can't salvage this leg. I'm sorry. So he did turn me away at one point in time, which is kind of funny because then I come back and said, so can you cut it off? <laughs> he goes, that yeah. I can do. And you are in the right place now. I'm like, okay, now let's have a conversation. So when he sent me to you, it was interesting because just within that one conversation you and I had, the neuroma that was on the MRI, totally, you, you're like, that's it. The other issue was something that came up after the MRI and I had my, my DRG turned back on in my, in my neurotransmitter and I had the shooting pain and you were like, so th- I'm going to be honest. We don't know where it's coming from, what it's stemming from. It's, I mean, it's obviously something with the nerve, but you're like, I'll go in there but I can't guarantee anything. And I knew that going in, you were, you were straight out honest. And I was at that point, when you go through something like that, you're like, just do whatever you can. And we're going to like roll the dice and hope that that's what we, we get. And so I knew that going in, I wasn't, I wasn't worried that nothing was going to work. I knew like that the one in the back, that's awesome. Like I'm hiking and walking better because I'm not limping to stay off that pain, which is, which is a huge thing. So we're, we're getting through some of these things, but People that are listening, that are um, struggling, uh, and I say amputees, but really a lot of times things that I talk about on here, TMR isn't just done on amputees, correct? Uh, No, actually, I mean, predominantly it is done for amputees. So, um, you know, I think that was a good time to segue a little bit into the medicine part that we've been discussing. And I to back up real quick. You mentioned something before that I'm kind of passionate about uh, in terms of finding a surgeon. So, you know, I think that, you know, the, the public is not set up with the proper education to choose their physicians. They're just not um, because you don't know the schools, you don't know our training, and there's all sorts of different certifications out there that people can put on their website and say that they have. So at least with plastic surgery, what I can tell you is, you know, make sure that they did, that they're board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. That's the only major board that's recognized across uh, all the medical specialties. And, and that's, that's at least your starting point, that you're board, American board certified. A plastic surgeon. And then also, it's hard for a public to know what it is that someone can and can't do, because it's very easy for you to walk into some office and say, and ask them, do you do this? And they can say, yeah, I do this. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and you have no idea. Did they Have they done the proper training? And unfortunately, unless you know the schools and you know the pedigrees of these people, you really have no way to ever know that. So that's when it becomes really important to have people like you, for example, that are asking the right questions. And you ask me those questions. How many have I done? Where have I done these? Um, and, and, and you always say this to me, and I believe it's very true, be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're going to meet a physician and you're going to trust them, ask mm-hmm. them where they've been, what they've done, yeah. um, and hope they tell you the truth. And, and unfortunately, not all the time, not all the time they will, but hopefully you found someone that, that will and, and will kind of point you in the right direction. That's um, true. So- and, and, and going into the, the actual, like you said, the science of the TMR so that the average person that might be interested in it sure. and what it, it, what it's about are plastic surgeons the only ones that are really trained to be able to do this? So would that be the avenue they're looking for? Well, yes. Uh, I mean, the issue, the, it's hard to answer that question. The reason that plastic surgeons are the one doing this is because the people that started it were plastic surgeons. Okay. Um, and also as plastic surgeons, and again, I have to, plastic surgery is such a broad field. So I'm going to narrow this down and say, 
plastic surgeons with specialty training in nerve transfers <laughs> are the ones okay. supposed to do this. Okay. Um, and in general, plastic surgeons, at least the type of plastic surgeon that I am, uh, the reconstructive kind, we specialize in microsurgery, which is the reconnection of blood vessels when we transfer tissue, for example, and nerve transfers, where um, under a microscope, we're reconnecting nerves uh, with very small sutures to do what we call coaptations. Um, but that mm -hmm. is a subset, a subspecialty of plastic. So no, I mean, it's not your your, you know, Dr. 90210, they're, they're not doing this type of surgery. Um, you know, they have their own specialty and their own skills. Okay. Um, so no, that's, that's not how you find this. The way you found it is, is kind of you talking to the people that you trust within the field and, and then, and then meeting, you know, the right person. And it, sometimes it's fortuitous, right? I mean, I think right. the only reason Dr. Cummings even mentioned it to you was probably because a month before I said, I said, Hey Judd, you know, if you <laughs> see any patients with painful stumps, let me know. Cause I can help. I think that's, that's like probably that exactly so what high. happened you know, over a lunch in the doctor's lounge. Right. Um, so well, look, and that's, and that's, what's frightening too, because I do know um, after talking to you, talking to my own prosthetists about this, and they were so excited when I told them I was going to see you and they're like, really? So they started picking <laughs> my brain, right? That's just kind of how it starts to roll. And then Dr. Cummings, but there are so many people that, and from what I've heard from my prosthetists is that the, those amputees having those issues which is a lot of us they have some yeah. sort of nerve issue go right back to the surgeon who performed the surgery and they don't i don't know if it's just because it's not as well known or it's just that they want to have that procedure done in their office and they they do it but all they're doing is doing a basic cutout, get rid of it yeah. sew you back up only for it to regrow again or cause more problems and that, exactly. that makes me so sad. So listeners, if you're having problems, you need to ask the right questions. You <laughs> need to find out if they are doing this TMR and where you can find it. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, so, I mean, no, I mean, you're alluding to exactly the exact right point. So, you know, in preparation for this talk, I was trying to review the most recent literature. Um, you know, the last numbers are 2 million people are suffering from chronic pain. Uh, in their amputation stumps, whether it be the arm or the lower extremity. Mm. Um, and chronic pain is, a, is an issue, uh, especially poignant now because of the, the pandemic of opiate use. So mm. a, lot of, a lot of focus is being pushed now on how do we treat pain without opiates because of how, how uh, overprescribed those medications are. Um, but in terms of the basic, uh, you know, let's go through the basic pathology. Yeah, please. With any amputation of the arm or of the leg, um, when, they, when we do the amputation, we cut through the nerves, the major nerves that supply that extremity. We'll focus on the lower extremity for this conversation. But um, in that situation, we have the tibial nerve and the common perineal nerve. Those are two of the major nerves that are in the lower extremity that allow for function and, uh, and a portion of the sensation. Now, it's more complex. There's other nerves, but those right. are the, the two big ones um, that we often talk about. So anytime that you cut a nerve, that nerve ending is now looking to regenerate. And it doesn't have a target once it's been cut. 100% of the time that you cut a nerve, you're going to get a neuroma. The definition of a neuroma is essentially a disorganized uh, collection of nerve fascicles. And the reason that it forms is because these fascicles, are, or fascicles, I'm sorry, the, the term for the, uh, the inner portions of a nerve, they're looking to regenerate. They're looking to grab something. So you can think of it as tentacles being spread out into the body, trying to find a target, mm -hmm. trying to find a muscle, trying to find something that it can connect to. Now, when it can't find that, it creates these large neuromas, which essentially are at the end of these nerves, this large collection of scar tissue, essentially right. scarred nerves that formed. The traditional way that we've always treated that is to hide it. So 100% of the time you get a neuroma. Now you don't always get a symptomatic neuroma. <laughs> so a symptomatic neuroma is <laughs> exactly a neuroma that causes pain. 
And that pain can be elicited by pressure. It can be elicited, elicited by uh, changes in temperature. Uh, it can be elicited by even just light touch. The way that we've traditionally treated this is to try to hide that neuroma, put it somewhere where it doesn't see pressure, it doesn't see light touch, and it doesn't see temperature. So the traditional teaching has always been to do what's called a traction neurectomy, where basically when we do your amputation, we pull the nerve as tight as we can, and we cut it up as far up as we can so that it retracts up into the muscles. Kind of like a slinky. That, yeah, like a slinky, yeah. yeah. And by doing that, essentially you're, you're burying the, the nerve ending in, in, in a more proximal location, hopefully away from those things that we talked about. But as we just talked about, a lot of, or 60 to 80% is the last number I saw of limb amputation patients go on to develop chronic pain. Now, it is important that we distinguish the different types of chronic pain. There's the phantom limb pain, which I'm sure you know all too well, mm -hmm. which is the pain that's exclusively associated with your, your nerves in terms of your body isn't getting the appropriate signals again or back from your, from your lower extremity telling mm -hmm. you um, that this, it's no longer there. So it kind of goes into overdrive. And that's where phantom limb pain comes from because there's not that signal back that tamps it down. Right. But then there's another kind of pain, which is called residual limb pain. Residual limb pain is due to a number of variety of, or a variety of factors, which can include infection, a bad soft tissue envelope, osteomyelitis, which is infection of the bone, heterotopic ossification, which is um, an overgrowth or abnormal placement mm -hmm. of bone. That doesn't really have much to do with nerves as much as, uh, as much as the phantom limb pain, which is why you have to be the right candidate for the procedures that you received and the ones that we're going to talk about. Uh, because what we do in targeted muscle reinnervation, so that's what a TMR is, yeah. is we give that nerve an end organ to go into. So instead of just cutting the nerve and letting it retract, what we do in surgery, what I did in neurosurgery, um, is we find a recipient nerve. So we find nerves that are going into surrounding muscles, and we cut those nerves. Now, in the operating room, we're testing the nerves to make sure that they're redundant, that you're not losing muscular function. Um, and we then plug the nerves that are symptomatic neuromas into those nerves using a microscope and using suture. And by doing that, we've now taken those tentacles that were going out mm -hmm. randomly and we're sending them directly to another nerve. And what that does is it now sends a signal to that nerve and to that muscle. Targeted muscle innervation actually was not started for pain control. It was actually started for prosthesis control. Yeah, the original idea was that if you could target, if you could reroute these nerves to different muscles, and I'll use the upper extremity as an example because it's just right. easier. But let's right. imagine that you have a trans, what we call transhumeral amputation, so right. an amputation for an arm. There's nerves that used to tell your hand to close and open yep. and your wrist to go up and down. Well, you can now reroute those nerves to a, a muscle in the arm, such as the bicep, a muscle on the back of the arm, such as the tricep. And you can even reroute that nerve to a muscle on the chest, which is the pectoral muscle. And what you can then do, and this was the whole idea was, is if you put an electro signal, electromyographic signal on, or a pad on that spot, when you take the nerve that usually says open hand and yeah. you plug it into the bicep, that nerve will now fire the bicep, which can now be picked mm -hmm. up by that electrode that can now tell a prosthesis or a computer, this person's thinking open hand. So now the robotic arm yep. will open its hand. So that's how this all actually started. Um, and that technology has come a very far way, as you can imagine, since 2002. And it's expanded oh, into yeah. the lower as well. Uh, but what they saw was that a large percentage of the patients that had the TMR surgery for prosthesis control actually went on to develop decreased pain. And then they started realizing the pathophysio or the physiology that allowed that to happen. And all the TMR that I'm doing here in Arizona, I'm not, I'm not doing it for a prosthesis sake. I'm doing it for the other pain control issue. Right. And I always tell patients, like I told you, I, I, you know, the good candidate is the one who comes in and says, hey, Dr. Cruz, it hurts 
It hurts here, here, and here. Yep. That's because that's the neuroma, that's the neuroma, that's the neuroma. Yeah. That is focal pain. But the patient who comes in and says, my whole hand hurts, or my <laughs> whole stomach hurts, that's that's the other type of pain that I can't really treat. That's that the residual limb pain. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's the residual limb pain. And that kind of pain is, is not as easily treated with the nerve uh, transfer. Um, so you, again, were a perfect candidate. You kind of said, hey, Dr. Proust, when I put my stump on, it hurts here, here, and here. Um, yeah. And actually, do you mind if I talk about your surgery? No, That's go right ahead. Yeah, you, no, a different avenue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for you, you know, we did, we did three nerve transfers. So we did your common perineal nerve and we did your tibial nerve because you were having pain at the end of your stump on, on the backside that you and I had talked about. Mm-hmm. And then we also did what's called the savinous nerve because on the front of your leg, you were pointing to that one spot on the lateral side that the savinous nerve travels to. Yeah. So for you, we did, we did three different nerve transfers. Now, I know you still have some discomfort and you and I have talked about I that a do. lot too. Um, I don't know if you want to get into that at all. I, I do, we can, cause I'm interested. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's like you and I have talked about before. Um, you are, you're a go-getter, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're a get up and go and I love that about you. Um, you know, but when you put on a prosthesis and you go for a five mile hike and you come back and you tell me, hey, it hurt after five miles, you remember what I said to you? I said, mm-hmm. Angie, if I go and I walk five miles, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in so much pain. I don't walk five miles. I know. So I'm gonna have leg. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have all those different pains. Yeah. Here. So, um, you know, I, I don't I don't want to sell this as like a cure all because it's not. It's, no. It's a tool. It's, it's a it's an armor. It's a it's a tool in our armamentarium to help people get back as much function as they possibly can. And again, for you, um, great success because even yeah. though you do have discomfort with the things you're doing, you're doing yeah. them now, which is right. great. I mean, I love following on Instagram and yeah. seeing you skiing and seeing you hiking and seeing yeah, you do all the stuff. you weren't doing before, you know, yeah. so that's, that's really. And I like that the being transparent, I think is very important because I know when I became an amputee, you started looking at, you know, social media is great. in the fact that it brings the world together in, in a fact that, okay, I'm not the only one, but you start seeing all these people doing this, 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 and then you go, Oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not doing this or I'm not doing this or how do they, I want to be able to do that. They, they, they're so good at it, but they don't yeah. show you all the hard work and the pitfalls that happen to get to that point. And so my take is always, so this is where it's at. While you say, yeah, it's a, it's a huge success. And I truly believe like the last few times I've gone out walking, I spent a lot of time thinking of my stride, my gait. And I've noticed that when I used to kick my leg through, which would hit the bottom of the stump, would hit the back of my socket, that's where it would, I could do that for a while. But if you do that on a sidewalk over and over and over again, you're beating that same neuroma to death, that it would get to a point where it, I literally at one and a quarter mile, I would start going, get mentally tough because you got to get home and you still have like three quarters of a mile to get there or a mile to get there. And it was so hard that is gone. You took that neuroma out, you plug those babies in and we are good. (laughs) Like I've been able to actually focus on my stride and, and really work on the best. And, and for me, that means that then my hips are in the right place. That means my back's lined up. My, my knee and my good leg is good. I am preserving the rest of my body for years to come when my gait can get back to what it should be. Yeah. On the flip side is, is that one spot that you, you told me, and I knew this going uh-huh. in, I don't know what we're going to be seeing. Now, when I came to, you said nothing looked abnormal. And, and I, what I've always told people is you are the best advocate for your own body. I can explain stuff to you, but really, unless you're me, you really, 
unless I can communicate really, really well, exactly where I'm feeling it. But when you say to your doctor, I'm feeling it down my shin and there is no shin or I'm feeling it on my calf every once in a while when I do this, it's like the phantom pain, but it's an extreme, like I've got phantom pain at times, but this is like sharp pain. And I know exactly when it happens. I know, I think I know why it's happening. It's just trying to get that resolved. And so it's not a, not everybody's going to benefit 100%, but I've always said that, you know, your attitude will dictate some of that stuff too. Yes, it hurts. Today, I went for four miles on my scooter all the way to my (laughs) Desert Ridge area to shop and back. And I kick with that leg, my socket leg. Yeah. And when I kick and my leg goes down in there, I would get that zinger and I'm like, just deal with it because you're not going to sit around at the house and pout about it. So no pity party. Right. So you just, while I'm doing it, like I don't stop living because this is dictating it. Cause if that's it, then that has won. And I'm not going to allow that to happen. Now I know there are a lot of people that want to know how do they know if they are the right candidate for this type of surgery? How do they present it to their surgeon? What checklists or whatever are you looking for that says you are definitely the candidate? Yeah, I I think the challenge right now that we have is that a lot of people don't know about this. Mm. So, you know, um, again, you were fortunate enough to have talked to Dr. Cummings, who had talked to me probably a month earlier, and I said, hey, I do this. Um, So it may not be from your surgeon. And actually, I mean, hats off to you because you're the one that's kind of taking this directly to the right patients and saying, hey, Mm. there's a guy like me out there that can do this. and, uh, and there's, there's not a lot of people like me doing this here in Phoenix. No. To answer your question, the right candidate is the person who, like you said, it hurts in a few spots. It, once again, the generalized pain, I, I can't treat that. It has to be a reproducible pain. So yeah. if you're sitting at home right now watching this video and you're looking at your stump, if you can take your finger and you can touch here and here and you can shoot that pain up your leg, you're great. You could be a great candidate. So come say hi to me. Yeah. Um, but if unfortunately you're one of the patients that's sitting at home right now, and your whole stump just hurts without any touching, without anything, uh, any pressure or anything, that's, that's the type of other pain that I was alluding to before, which I, I may or may not be able to treat. Now, I'm, I'm sometimes able to treat those too, but it's not always with the nerve transfer. So, mm-hmm. you know, if your skin envelope's not good uh, or not the best, I can revise your skin envelope. Or right. if you have an infection, I can treat that infection. You know, those are, those are the other things. So it's not always a nerve transfer. But then it's, it's really about plugging in with the right, the right doctor. So, you know, absolutely. Um, Your followers should come say hi to me if they live in the Phoenix area and I can kind of go over it with them and and say, you know, I think you'd benefit or or no, you won't. And it's important to get that information out there. Well, and you know, and I didn't, um, ironically, it's because I ask a ton of questions. (laughs) You can ask my first PT. I wanted to know everything. Why are you doing this? What's it going to do? I need to know you know, I want to know everything that I'm feeling or going through. It was when I was with my prosthetist and he could not get a fit right. Yeah. He was the one that said, you know what? You may have an aroma. Yeah. And I went back to Dr. Cummings and said, I think we might be dealing with an aroma. And he goes, all right, let's get an MRI. Yeah. Got the MRI and, and I came back in to talk to him and he, I can do this, but I'd rather you see Dr. Prutz because he's going to do this surgery. I'm like, what? I don't want a surgery, right? That's not what I was looking for. I was, you know, you never want to sit there and go, cause I'm already was two years in and I'm like, I'm healed. I'm feeling great. I'm finally, I didn't want to swell again. I didn't want, I was, I was really worried and, and people need to hear this. 
internally one fear that I held on to, well, two fears. My first fear was, God forbid I get an infection. You're opening me up again. The second one was, what if after having just spent a lot of money on my new socket, I do this and I can't fit in the socket that, and especially being out of it for weeks, I was like, your body changes so much. When I put my socket on in the morning, sometimes it fits some one way, but by the end of the night, I can slide it off. I've processed the liquids and fluids out of my, my limb and there's a different fit. And I was like four weeks without it on, what's it going to feel like? And so, you know, other people might have that same feeling like, what if, and yeah, there are what ifs. And that's when you go with what your gut says and you make sure you're talking and asking the right questions. And you are really being honest with the person you're, you're talking to. I mean, I think I went straight out and said, this is what I do. Yeah. And I won't sit down. I mean, this four weeks is going to, yeah. four weeks. I've, I've, this is going to kill me. I can't do four weeks. And you're like, well, maybe it'll be just a little bit more. You didn't even pull it back. You said it might be more than four weeks. And he goes, it depends on if you heal right. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're talking five weeks. So I'm like counting in my calculator, the calendar. And I'm like, oh my God, we're January, you know, going into February. So, you know, the honesty, right. Um, I mean, I think the same message, if, if, anybody has been listening to any of these podcasts through this limb loss awareness month, the message has been really the same thread, which I'm thrilled because it wasn't the point, but it is advocating for yourself, asking questions, questions, questions. We have the right to ask you questions. I used to not know this. I remember my very first couple issues with my knee when it, this all happened. And I took the surgeon's word for it. Look where I'm at now. <laughs> amputation uh, like it it was an mcl tear that's where mine started yeah. so yeah, I, you learn by doing and i'm hoping that maybe instead of having people re- recreate the wheel maybe they're hearing this and maybe this dialogue you and i are having will help someone i asked you a really interesting question because i think it obviously had nothing to do with me because i already been there done it with you but after the surgery i said why aren't you standing side by side with the orthopedic surgeon during amputation and doing that TMR? Why couldn't we have stopped it before the problem? Um, so you, you alluded to like four different things just now. So let me, let me try to catch up Go with for that. It. that question for you. Good. Um, so the first thing is um, just as a, as a, uh, um, a teaching point back to what we talked about earlier, if you get an MRI of an amputee, hundred percent of the time, you're going to see a neuroma. So I don't want people out there thinking that just because there's a neuroma on the MRI, that's what's causing their pain. I need to make that distinction. Um, like we talked about, everybody's getting scars and aroma if they have had an amputation. The question of whether, whether, is whether or not that neuroma is causing your pain. Right. So it's a symptomatic neuroma. And so in, my, in my case, it was exactly where my point was. Exactly. And you were, you were the perfect candidate. So yeah. that's an important thing to distinguish because I don't want a lot of people running in with MRI saying, I have an aroma. You have True. To no, that's Very not how good. Exactly. Very good. Um, the second thing I'll say is that, you know, this surgery is hard on, at least as me as a surgeon, and as a person who you know, cares about his results. Um, it's hard on me too, because the problem with the surgery is that it's extremely technical. Um, you know, you have to dissect the nerve. You have to make sure that once you dissect that nerve, you found a, an appropriate recipient nerve. You then have to prepare the nerves. You then have to do the coaptation under a microscope, meaning you have to put those nerves together end to end. You have to get all the fascicles, which are all the tentacles connected. Then you have to close everything back up and you have to make sure and you have to hope that everything goes perfect. Um, and the hard part about this surgery, and the reason, again, you have to be careful with who you go to do this surgery, is that the outcomes are very, very dependent on the technical expertise of the surgeon who did it. Because even, mm-hmm. in, even though when I do it, and I know what I did for that patient, if it doesn't work, 
it still might not be, it could have been something I've done. I, of course, I'm, you know, nobody's perfect. I might've made a mistake, but it, a lot of times it's, it's, you're rerouting nerves. So even if I did everything exactly perfect and you still have pain at a year, I don't know whether or not did I mess up or is that just your pain? I misdiagnosed you. And that's just how this is. Right. Um, and it's really hard. I mean, it's hard for a patient. It's hard for a surgeon because, you know, I'm very critical of my, of my surgeries and I, I like to go back and think, what can I do different? But this is one where, you know, while I'm doing it, I'm checking, checking off my list and saying, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And I, and I think I've done everything perfect. And then you have a patient who their pain didn't go away. And you have to ask yourself, oh, shoot, did I, did I do this? Or is yeah. it just that I misdiagnosed it or was it their pain? So that's, that's one of the hard things for us too. Yeah. You alluded to the infection. I had a, I had a recent gentleman, I think he's 20, 20, 21, 22 year old uh, kid, a very, very nice young man. Um, and I did a TMR for him, but I also did a stump revision. The TMR went great. The stump revision got infected. So, you know, he, he came back. Um, it took me another surgery to clean that up. And I've been seeing him every week for the past four weeks. And, and it's, 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 a, it's just a hello because it's all closed up. But right. you know, at this point, I want to make sure things are perfect for this guy. I actually, had right. five, six by now. So, you know, these things do happen. Um, yeah. You know, now he's healed and he's written back into his, his prosthesis. But, you know, all good intentions. And, and, right. and again, I, I had to. So that was the other thing. I want patients to ask me to do the surgery because I don't want it to be something where you say, well, you did my stump revision. I didn't actually need it to be done. And now I have an infection. Well, no, I mean, this guy came in and the stump had fallen apart because um, just kind of a technique issue as well as the prosthesis he was using. So he didn't really yeah. have a choice. We had to do the stump revision, you yeah. know, but it kind of got affected, but he didn't blame me for it. And I didn't blame him yeah. for it. Just, this is the nature of what we're dealing with. And right. we got through it. So that's very yeah. important. All the way to your new question. So your new yes, question, why not you this at the, time, at the time? Well, uh, to be honest, it's an insurance issue a lot of times. So um, they've done studies and there's data out there now that shows that TMR, I'm going to call it primary TMR, which is TMR at the time of your amputation, does lead to decreased residual pain or chronic pain after the surgery. Um, it's well documented. There's not a ton of studies and it's not large right. number studies. We're talking about studies that have maybe 25 patients in them. These are not 100-person right. studies because, again, there's not that many people doing this. Right. But the insurance companies, unfortunately, have not recognized the utility of this procedure. Mm -hmm. And they still consider it, in some cases, experimental. In which case, you <laughs> could get it done at the time of your amputation, but uh, you may have to pay for it out of pocket, um, which, obviously, a lot of people cannot do that and choose not to do that. And, and I don't blame them. You don't know that you're going to get a symptomatic neuroma. Right. So who's going to who's going to go in and, and, and shell out a whole bunch of money for something that yeah. may or may not be needed. Uh, although again, the data is building out there that uh, again, 60 to 80% of people will have chronic pain after an amputation yeah. and that TMR surgery does prevent that. So I think there's going to be a shift. I don't know how long it'll take. One of the issues again, is that there's just not that many of us doing it, you know, and there's just not that many patients who have had the procedure right. already, uh, but it is happening more and more. I mean, Dr. Cummings and other area surgeons, they do, and they have asked me, uh, if I could do a primary TMR at the time of the amputation, we've gotten approval a few times now. So it, it's starting to get some momentum for that. And those patients are doing well. Are that, is that, um, cause I have actually had some people reach out to me saying when they had their amputation, it was done. And is that based on maybe different insurance companies that are more the accepting of it? Different, different, in different States. I mean, I, so I talked mm -hmm. to my buddy who was in Chicago just this morning in preparation for this talk. And I asked him that question. I was like, have you had this problem? And he said, you know what? I haven't had this problem, but my partners have. And they're at the same institution. So I was like, I don't understand that. How can you not have this problem, but your partners at the same institution? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anybody understands the inner workings of the insurance companies in this country. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how they decide what they will and what they will not do. And again, I mean, you have to see it from their perspective as well. Like, 
in their, from their perspective, they're saying, well, hey, look, this is a procedure that hasn't been done on a ton of people. Yeah. And they're saying, we don't know that you're going to have a problem. And then here we are as surgeons saying, well, no, that's not true. You've got 60 to 80% of patients that have chronic pain after amputation, and you have good studies, good data that's coming out that shows yeah. we can prevent that. And again, now with, I, think, I think one of the major shifts we're seeing is the opioid pandemic. I think that uh, I've seen surgeons now kind of tailoring their, their studies to show that we're decreasing the use of narcotics with these procedures because yeah. that's, that's a hot button topic right now. So yeah. if we're able to demonstrate that this surgery decreases use of post-operative opiates, I think it'll gain more momentum and what's more, uh, more likely that insurance companies and other people will be willing to cover it. Yeah, I, w- I could see that. I mean, it's um, as, as you're talking about all that, I was just thinking how sometimes when you go through everything that we do, not, and my surgery, obviously elected, at the beginning of my guest speakers, I interviewed my friend out of Kauai. He was a shark attack victim. So an accident. I do need to talk to a couple other people that maybe born, born that way, kind of a thing. And, but we all come from different backgrounds to this amputation community. And one thing I have learned this is through age and wisdom. Is that <laughs> this is all about the journey. I always hope to feel better and not have problems, but that's really not what life is. All you can really do when it comes down to all these different facets, the surgeon you use, if you have an amputation, if it's because you're diabetic or cancer or accident or whatever, that that is just the journey that you are on. Uh, My faith is really strong. So I, I bring that in a lot when I talk to people. Um, I just talked to someone yesterday who is listening to my prosthetist talk the other day. And she's like, I have to drive two hours because I got to find somebody else. I haven't been able to walk for two years. She's five years in amputation. You know, that's, that makes me so sad. And she's probably just maybe my age. It doesn't seem like the right thing, but I just say, you know, you have faith. You gotta, you gotta push through. You've got to have the mindset. Your attitude's got to be in check. You know, I'm hoping to empower people to do that because there's so many people that are afraid to ask the professional, but it's my body. You know, I'm the one that has to live with it after you all are done, close shop for the night, go home to your families. We go home (laughs) and we deal with the problem still, right? You know, we still deal with the pain or the issues that are at hand and they can't ask the questions and get the answers they need. It's tough to see people go through that. I think the challenge that you face and that, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, patients who have the chronic pain in their limbs face is, is it's in lack of education on the patient side, but on the physician side too. I mean, so you, your, your friend who is driving two hours may drive two hours to a city and find somebody else who still might not know about these procedures. Yes. I mean, it's a relatively new, I mean, I know I said 2002, but it's not widespread. I mean, it's a relatively limited thing and it, it's really right. being done mostly at you know, major academic centers around the country. And it's, it's not that common to see it in your, in your, in your communities. And something else I'll say to you, and I say it to a lot of my patients is, you know, no regrets and, you know, no regrets if you want to go that right. way. But, I know. I say um, that every time. <laughs> Silly commercial. But, you know, I mean, the thing is, is, uh, you know, I can't play the number of patients that come into me and they're like, Dr. Pruch, like this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened and then this and this and this. And it's just this whirlwind tour of things. Mm. And I have to, you know, I, I listen and I have to say, look, you know, that's where you were. This is where we are. Yeah. And now we have to go this way. Yeah. You know, so I, I empathize and I, 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 uh, and I feel bad every time I hear these stories and, you know, well-intentioned surgeries that have just gone horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's kind of what I specialize in fixing. Um, right. But then, you know, coming down and saying, look, like 
I know this is where we are now. This is where I think we can go. We got, we got to, we got to move past that because yep. if you keep asking those questions and you keep on going back to that, we're not right. going to move forward. We're not going to progress to where we need to be. So, and you mentioned it too. I mean, outlook's a huge thing. You know, I see patients where they get the same exact surgery and the one who has a positive outlook gets, gets better faster. I mean, they just do. It's just, the, the, it's just it's works true. better for everybody. Every person I have spoken to the last month that has been the exact same thing they've said. You're going to, you got to stop looking in the past. What's done is done. I always joke and say, it isn't going to regrow. So move past <laughs> it <laughs> and start seeing how it's like, maybe vitamin E is the key. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, if you, if you're looking at the past and looking at, well, I shouldn't have done this or I shouldn't have done this. You're stuck there. Instead of just, I knew that once my amputation was going to happen, I couldn't wait to see, well, you know me well enough now to know that I couldn't wait to see how many people I could prove wrong. Oh yeah. And how many people I could get to go, holy cow. Like, I can't believe you can do that. And when I get in and out of my car, I don't even feel like I'm disabled. I I wouldn't even use that word with me. I really wouldn't. Um, and, and then that is a mindset that I have decided I've decided it's a choice to make. Right. And so, yes, I still have a few setbacks happening right now. I was out hiking yesterday. I was out scootering today. Not a big deal. We'll get through it. We, we do right. Life is about everything else. We have families, we have people that count on us. We have friends and, and that's kind of where you've got to, if you just kind of stay in your bubble, you could have pity parties all the time, you know, and you just, that's not the, that's not the place to be. You can't heal. You can't be healthy or happy in that, that bubble. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you're, you're always embarrassing me because you're out, you're out doing hikes and, and having discomfort <laughs> from five mile hikes. My lower back hurts because I've been on the couch all day with my wife watching scrubs you know, watching, <laughs> and, and carrying my kid around because she can't get out of the, you know, off the couch right now. So um, uh, you know, I will tell you that is just, <laughs> that is a phase in your life right now. Enjoy it. <laughs> Someday you'll be like, why can't we just sit for a few hours and just do nothing? Oh, it's funny. I mean, I'm looking, you might notice I'm looking over here because my wife's over there having contractions on the couch. I, uh, <laughs> we've, we've, we've been joking like over and over all day, like, you know, all day, all week, basically. I've been kind of doing all the stuff around the house and I keep telling her, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like, enjoy this, you know, enjoy this time because I'm, I'm doing everything for you. And then she retorts, she's like, well, I'm about to, you know, push a baby out of, you know, out of my body in, in a day or two, like. So like, I think so uh, you enjoy this time. Yeah, you enjoy this time. Yeah. So it's always the back and forth, but um, <laughs> it's, it it's is, fun. you know what uh, though? It's a, it's a cool phase, right? Like I said, everything yeah. is, you, you realize all these things are just little aspects of your life and you really, whatever you decide to do with it and, and who you decide to surround yourself with is really what's going to make a, and break your, your life, you know, and some of us are fortunate to have a good support system and some aren't but they're there. Even amputees, if you don't even know anybody, there are so many support groups in social media that you can reach out to or within your community if you are willing to jump. And and quite frankly, the, every time I've done it, like having this conversation with a, a lady in Alabama yesterday, like I have a new buddy. And I'm like, I love that because I never know, like, here's my journey. And then there was the amputation. And I, I was like, wait, I was supposed to go that way. Now I'm, my train's derailed, but it didn't derail. It just took it. You know, the, the switch was flipped and it went the other direction. And every person I meet now 
takes a different journey. Like when I met you, I'm like, so I'm thinking about starting a podcast and I, you know, you could be on it. Like I, mean, I would never have known like eight weeks ago that this is where I would be at, you know, I mean, and healing. Either. This is my first podcast. I didn't have it. Like, I had no idea how to get ready. I'm like spraying cologne on. I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> okay. I did too. Not cologne. But my <laughs> well, I like to end if you don't mind. And I think I covered everything I really wanted to. And obviously tell everybody the name of your office and where you're located again. Yeah, sure. Well, so the easiest way to find me is just my name. So Ronnie Pooch. Um, that's my website's Ronnie Pooch MB. Um, I practice under Phoenix Plastic Surgery, but when you type that in, uh, you get a lot of different websites because I don't pay for SEO. <laughs> so yeah. I probably I, I probably should, but I don't. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it is my name. Um, yeah. And then my office number is uh, 602-331-7811. Um, and uh, we're obviously open every day, Monday through Friday. And somebody will take your, uh, take your uh, name and information and let me know. You can also go to my website and send me an email. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram. I think we follow each other yes. on there. So did you put on, you said you were going to do my pictures. Did you do my pictures on your site, your Insta? I have them ready to go after this with your permission. Sweet, actually. sweet. Yes. So yeah, so people need to be looking. Posted. Yep. Be yep. looking for that. It was so gross. Like <laughs> I, I told someone, I said, okay, I could never be a doctor. I could definitely never be a surgeon. I'm okay with blood until it's like my own body. And so you had said after <laughs> my surgery, I said, uh, David came in. So people, this is nice. My prosthetist actually came in and hung out with me on my post-surgery meeting. And you said, you want to see pictures? I don't know why, but my first thought was, oh, he's going to show me x-rays. And then bam, there was a very <laughs> colorful vision of the back of my thigh completely opened oh, up. Ultra high death, ultra high death. Woo! And then you're like, you want to see a video? And I said, no, I can't do the video. I barely made it through the pictures. You don't want me passing out here. But his, his staff is amazing. Um, and you actually have someone on staff that I worked with at my pain management um, office, yeah. Katie, yeah. which Katie, was yeah. so weird of all the offices in all of Phoenix that I found her again. So it was almost like one of those weird full circles that I was meant to be, I guess. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, we got a really good thing going. I mean, we all, again, yes. I mean, our philosophy is, is this doesn't have to suck. I mean, it does suck. You know, <laughs> anyone that comes to our office, something, right. something sucks in their life. So like right. we're fixing it. Um, no. But at the same time, just because it sucks doesn't mean it has to be miserable. So, you know, right. our whole staff's like, everyone's got a smile on their face when you come in, including me. I mean, I'm first to joke when you walk through the door. Um, so, yeah. And then, yeah, on my, uh, at, at the Ronnie, at Ronnie Preach MD on the uh, Instagram, a lot of the stuff is sensitive content. So yes. please don't click the photo if you don't want to see. If I don't, I don't click the photo. These I are can't. interoperative photographs of patients that we've taken care of. And, yep. and uh, uh, yeah, so please. Uh, yeah, well, next. Tread my that's yeah right that yeah if you do click on the sensitive photo you are going to see surgery stuff and that's another way to reach out to you too you could direct message you there yeah yeah so you can direct message on facebook you can direct message on instagram um, my staff is usually the ones checking that um yeah. or uh, or my wife sometimes checks my instagram and says hey you got a message uh, for full disclosure i don't usually check my instagram unless i have a friend like you who i know we have to correspond <laughs> with uh it's usually one of my staff members, and i think your wife is a little busy right now so yeah she loves this stuff though she's a social media guru and professional makeup artist and all those things so. i love it actually yeah, that's why i have i don't know if you notice i have this really bright light because she's a professional makeup artist that she set up for me so that's good i love <laughs> it well you look great she did an awesome job yeah. getting you prepped it's all about the lighting, right? it is all about the lighting it is <laughs> all right so we are going to end with the game that i play okay called this or that 
And so it's supposed to be a speed round. That means you don't get like time to think about it. Just what comes to mind. And it's more about just a personal little edge to see what a little bit more about you, things you wouldn't normally talk about. Okay. This way. Okay. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Chocolate. Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Are you? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say milk, chocolate, or dark chocolate. Uh, dark chocolate. <laughs> well, I figured if I said milk or dark, that wouldn't sound right. So, yeah. Okay. Sweet or salty? Salty. Morning person or night owl? Night owl. Oh, me too. Thus the nine o'clock appointment. <laughs> um, super salad? Soup. Comedy or reality TV? Comedy. No reality TV for me. Yeah. <laughs> Life is real enough. Um, yeah, yeah. Books or magazines? Magazines. Indoors or outdoors? Outdoors. Spring or fall? Spring. Being in the pool or going to the lake? The pool. Are you in 80s music or a 2000? 80s. You don't, have to, you don't have to even go any further on that one. Oh, me too. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you say after 80s. I love it. So- this is why we get along total 80s there's nothing good better than some 80s um, music i love it my so my son um i'm sorry i have to interject real quick so we have a, a playlist called dancing his name's pearson so dancing pearson playlist and the whole thing is 80s music so his favorite song yes. i don't know if it's from the 80s but old time rock and roll by bob seeger yes so that comes on and he goes nuts Aww. and then uh love man which isn't the 80s but it was in dirty dancing which is why yep. i know the song so yep. that's all he just gets he starts going like this he's uh, uh, those are the good old days <laughs> my 16 and, or 17 and 18 year old don't do that anymore <laughs> <laughs> they've outgrown those and then when i dance like that then they turn them turn away so <laughs> they don't want to see mom doing that well i appreciate your time thank you i'm so glad this worked i really was worried that we weren't gonna be able to get in with yeah. your busy schedule Thank you so much for your time. I have enjoyed getting to know you and I really uh, look forward to getting all this stuff fixed up and then hoping uh, that you get some, uh, you can help some other people just like me. Yeah, you are awesome to take care of. Thank you for letting me do that. Thank you so much. There you have it, Dr. Ronnie Pruch. I hope you got some information from this that will help you or help someone you know. Reach out to him and hopefully uh, find a healthier and a better way of living without pain. Now, on to call to action. I want you to start looking forward. So many times we spend so much energy looking at where we were, where we wish we were, where we want to be back to. Especially for amputees, life will never be the same, but that doesn't mean different is bad. It is all going to be your mindset. Once you let go of what you knew and start looking forward to what is possible, you will notice a shift in your attitude, in your happiness, and virtually in your health. Because when we harbor stress and ill feeling, we tend to um, stress our bodies out. And that's never going to be a good thing. And if you're trying to heal, whether it's physically or mentally or emotionally, you need to be in the right headspace. This week, I want you to start looking forward. Start dreaming about possibilities. Start thinking about what you want to do with your life and let go of the past. 
It's time for you to move forward. It's time to move on. Please work on this call to action this week. Start making a list of things that you're dreaming of doing. Um, And you know what? Even if you think you can't, you might surprise yourself and find that there is a way to adapt what you want to do. Call to action. Start looking forward. Start listing your dreams. Let's do it. Let's jump. Let's do it together. As always, reach out to me. Get on my website. Write me a note. DM me on Instagram. I'd love to talk to you. And let me know how it's going. And until next time, be healthy, be happy, be you.